Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit HealNourishGrowPodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. Dr. Laura M. Brown is a registered naturopathic doctor with a functional medicine approach. She recognizes patterns, removes obstacles, and stimulates the body's natural mechanisms to repair damage and rebuild health. She is the owner of South Bend Natural Medicine, a best-selling author of Beyond Digestion, a HeartMath certified practitioner, a level two certified gluten-free practitioner, and holds the designation of ADAPT trained practitioner from Kressler Institute, the only functional medicine and ancestral health training company. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Laura Brown, and eventually we're going to get into all things gut health. But before we start to that, I'd like for you to just maybe introduce yourself. I've already read your bio, of course, but kind of in your own words, what you're all about and how you got into this sort of work, like any past health issues, or did you just find this passion kind of randomly? I mean, what's what's your story, Dr. Brown? Well, I think for for most of us, we we get into these things because we have had personal issues that we're on a you know we're on we're on a bit of a a quest or a mission in some regards to to find things out. Um, conventional medicine is wonderful and has served its purpose um, in many forms in my life. However, there's been times when I've just not been feeling you know 100 well well in myself after uh, things have happened and. The, the passion of the science and, and just the whole roundedness of naturopathic medicine really attracted me to find out more. And of course, as, as I um, journey on through it, I keep unpeeling the layers of my onion, I always call it, and, and come deeper and deeper to, to, to levels of healing and levels of discovery within my own self. Uh, for others, I'm a witness um, for their healing and a guide for their healing and transformation in their health. And that comes in many different ways as a naturopathic doctor. Again, holistically, we're looking at body, mind, and spirit and just how they're knit together. And I'm infinitely fascinated at how we are created and how things do knit together and how, you know, you keep pulling on the loose threads and, and you find how things are connected. So that's uh, that's a big passion of mine and uh, keeps me curious and humble all at the same time. <laughs> So much to learn, right? Which is why I love having these conversations because I get to pick the brains of some really smart people. So did you start out on a more allopathic route before you began to come into this more naturopathic and holistic sort of healing? Or or what was your experience with sort of medicine before you got into this? What was your, what was that path like for you? Or did you automatically just say naturopathic, this is it for me and went right into it? Oh gosh, no, I have a very eclectic past. Um, I started out in technology in the 1990s and cause that was the way everything was going. So I had actually quit university to go on to the technology field and my university was all like sciences and stuff. So I went off into that because um, that's, that's where things were leading in life. And 
followed that trail for, for quite a while and realized that, okay, it served many purposes, but it wasn't really aligning to my soul's purpose. And as my children went off to university, I went back to school and I started out in business first and I'm like, whoa, this is not, this is not my, this is not my passion. Uh, so then I uh, went into my sciences and it was just like everything lit up and it was like, this is where I need to be. So with that, uh, when I first stepped into the uh, Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, just to do a tour, I thought, I'm just going to go and see how it feels. And it just felt like I was home again. So that was uh, a very um, correcting feeling for me to say, yep, this is the right path. So I finished off my um, my university with the intention of going into uh, naturopathic medicine. So went ahead and did that. So that was um, like a six-year mission to, to finish that. And then I've gone into pharmaceutical training so that I can balance things there and understand how people's medications might interact with uh, holistic and uh, like natural plant-based medicines, things like that. Um, and then, uh, the training just continues as I practice because we have obviously, you know, demands from our regulatory body that we do need to continue our education, but I don't think you'd ever not stop anyways, because you just continue to find things and, um, learn from different people and learn from different resources. It's a continual, um, a continual experience of learning for sure. Yeah, that's a very interesting route, kind of circuitous, like my life's route actually, and and getting to where I am now. Um, but you mentioned one thing when you were just talking that I thought was pretty interesting, and it's a topic that I think leads us right into the gut health thing. And you were talking about learning more about uh, pharmaceuticals and how that kind of affects overall health and how that works into the picture. I think one of the things that people are discovering with gut health is that not only the food that you put into your body can either support or be a detriment to that whole system, but the supplements and the pharmaceuticals that we're putting in our body can also really affect that gut microbiome. So could you maybe speak a little bit to, you know, what you're sort of learning and discovering as you go through this path of learning more about the pharmaceuticals, how that really interacts with gut health specifically, and then overall health, obviously that leads to that, but I think we're kind of going down the gut health trail today. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of part of my story. And then obviously, as a practitioner, you start to attract things in that um, that you need to learn from others as well. And in my book, Beyond Digestion, I talk not just about my experience, but a lot about patient experience. And we know that many things affect gut health. So yes, food, food, first and foremost, is our medicine, but it also can, you know, cause issue as well. Um, if we have food sensitivities, that type of thing medications. And this was something for me, uh, Cheryl, that I found kind of in hindsight. Um, I was diagnosed early with hypothyroidism when I was uh, 14 or 15. And so I was on level thyroxine for years. They put me on the pill. I mean, this is the, you know, this was the, the cocktail that they would put you on. So I had been on the pill for years and this wreaks havoc on your microbiome. The oral contraceptive pill will deplete your, your multi-minerals. It will deplete your B vitamins. It will deplete your microbiome. Uh, level thyroxine can, um, can contribute to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it's just recognizing that and, and doing your, your housekeeping. If you need to stay on that, you, you know, sometimes there's medications that can be helpful, but then it's recognizing, Hey, what is it doing to you so that you can, um, work with it instead of against it. So these are things that I talk about as well. Um, but anytime that we're on, you know, any more than five drugs at a time, it's going to affect your microbiome carte blanche. It doesn't matter what drugs they are, but there are numerous other drugs that interact and interfere and change 
you know, the, the balance of, of the, the microbiota in the gut. And you have to think this is huge because 99% of the genes we carry around in us are not us. They're our microbiome. And these guys are responsible for making vitamins, uh, balance, you know, helping work with our hormones, helping turn on and off genes, help with our digestion. They make short chain fatty acids out of their, their fermentation. Um, and the short chain fatty acids feed our gut health, you know, feed our gut cells, but also contribute to, you know, the health of the rest of our body through working with our immune system and things going on. And we're finding that the, not only the balance of microbes, but also what they make, uh, with regards to the, the balance of the short chain fatty acids, which are sometimes now termed the postbiotics, uh, make a big difference in different, um, disease states. And we don't really know if it's a chicken or an egg. What comes first, that change or the, the disease state? Does the disease state kind of incur it or does it incur the disease state? Sometimes we don't really know, but we're seeing trends, which are important to observe and, um, and, then, and then to um, think about how can we affect a positive change towards this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's just, yeah, that's just a little, it's a short answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you mentioned uh, levothyroxine and there are so many, I, I think women in particular are more known to have hypothyroidism and that's kind of the first line drug that doctors tend to prescribe. And you mentioned that that has some specific effects on the microbiome. Do you have any, um, you know, of course, without giving necessarily medical advice, but um, from personal experience, anything that kind of helped you get your gut health back in order after you discovered that levothyroxine might be something that is impacting it in a negative way? If you've been around my content for a while, you know that one of my favorite things is making and eating gourmet food and pairing it with wine. You might think you can't enjoy wine though while trying to lose weight or stay in ketosis. And if you're drinking traditional wine, you might be right. So many wines are mass produced and full of sugar and other garbage additives that can wreak havoc on your health goals and just make you feel bad. Fortunately, I discovered Dry Farm Wines. I've been drinking their wine for years now and I love this company. They individually test small batch wines produced by vintners that are committed to the practice of dry farm production. Some of my favorites have been the Blaufrankisch variety from Austria and all of the wines from the Loire Valley in France. Dry farm wines are free from excess sulfites and mold that can cause adverse reactions and hangovers. With no added sugar, each wine is tested to be under one gram of sugar in the entire bottle. Yep, you just heard that right. There's less than one carb in the whole bottle of wine. They're also slightly lower alcohol, which means you can enjoy a delicious wine pairing at dinner any given night and not end up with a hangover. You can receive an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order by visiting dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. I'd love to hear what your favorite wine is after you try it and be sure to tag me on social with pictures of your wine and delicious dinners. Again, that bottle of wine for a penny is at dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. Exactly. And, and good point, because none of this that we're talking about is medical advice. None of it's intended to treat any individual. It's just educational purposes only. I practice individualized medicine because I believe we're all individuals. And yes, there are some things that we need to know as a, as a common interaction or a common experience, but um, each person is individual. We're all our own unique chemistry experiments. So we have to take that into consideration. Never would you stop a drug or anything prescribed without first talking to your prescribing physician so that you understand all the rep, you know, ramifications, things like that. And not, and sometimes a drug can be helpful. And as I said, you just have to decide what is best for you as an individual. There are alternatives to 
say, level thyroxine. There's not always an alternative for other types of medications, but sometimes there's other things we can do to help a situation to, to maybe reduce the, the amount of medication that somebody is on or wean off of it. So there's different ways that you can work with both your conventional and your natural practitioner together in order to find what's right for you, right? And as I mentioned before, like if we look at, you know, say somebody's on like methotrexate, which we know inevitably will deplete B12 or a statin we know can deplete CoQ10. Sometimes they're even packaging the pharmaceutical now with some of the, um, the vitamin or the nutraceutical to help counteract that, that depletion. Um, but I've never seen a multi-mineral or multivitamin or a B-complex vitamin packaged with an oral contraceptive pill, right? And nor are we, ever, you know, we're rarely told that that's a, that's, a, that's a case of what could happen. But if you look back into the literature, they've known this for a very, very long time. They've known this for decades and they've just never said anything. So it's kind of doing your homework on some things and recognizing, maybe reading some of the fine print to find out because nutrient depletion is, is huge. And it's so easy to correct either through diet or, or through sometimes just a simple supplement. And it's recognizing you talk about level thyroxine and I talked about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So then it's recognizing what are the other things contributing. It's going in on an individual basis and and doing some tidy up for me, it was a, it was a pretty big overhaul. And I didn't learn until later in life that I was really gluten sensitive. I kind of suspected some things were going on. I had done some fitness competitions or at the time it was called bodybuilding, but I think it's more, was more like fitness when I was in my teens, even I always felt great when I went on to a diet, which was, um, you know, basically your, your, your lean proteins and, and, um, you know, clean, you know, this potatoes and, you know, your, you're just your real food as far as starchy carbs go. Um, and um, it was low fat then, which I know wasn't the greatest, you know, now that we learn <laughs> more about fats now, but we, you know, we learn different things as, as generations turn over and as we find out stuff. But anyways, I always felt that it felt really clean and like crystal clear. I could focus. I felt, you know, wonderful when I was preparing for competition and I'm like, holy cow. Um, and then I'd go back to, to, you know, eating kind of your regular diet and it was like, oh, I don't feel so good. So then I'd go back, you know, so you're kind of going back to forth, forth, back and forth. And, and then I recognized, you know, this isn't really healthy either going back and forth, um, on the diets. And why don't I just kind of find something that's in the middle, mm -hmm. but I, it was always perplexing to me as to why I could do well on potatoes, but not on bread. Cause I thought, oh, it's the same kind of carbohydrate right? Because this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, when we didn't really have as much of this information floating around out mm -hmm. there. So it wasn't actually until I was, you know, well into naturopathic college that I was like, oh, maybe it's the gluten. And, you know, so I'm pulling that out of the diet. And lo and behold, you're like, my rashes on my face disappeared, and my digestion started to get better. But it took a long time, because there was a lot of damage done that I had to, to go through. Um, and then you add stress on top of that going, you know, you know, when you're going to medical school, it's, it's stressful because there's a lot of studying. It's, it's very comp, you know, very compact um, amount of time that you're putting a lot of information in and um, you know, life in general can be stressful and that in itself can shift our microbiome. So it's a constant um, housekeeping duty for me with my microbiome and my gut health. And I'm, you know, I've recognized what foods work for me and don't. And I've learned that sometimes it's just not worth it. It's not a treat anymore. It's just, 
you know, I choose to eat how I do because I feel better. I think better. I sleep better. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. Yeah, and that's an interesting way that you came to discover that it was really the grains and the gluten that were the issue because you were going on this very sort of, um, you know, like a cutting diet for for bodybuilders or for fitness competitors. Um, but what they'll often cut out is sort of those other uh, sources of carbs, which is pretty common. And uh, that's kind of, you know, my my path has been that I have gone on keto the last six years going on now. And, you know, I definitely feel like now on occasion, because I don't feel that I'm very gluten sensitive or anything that it bothers me, but I do notice more subtle things on the occasion where I do have, um, some gluten or grains. It's like, I just, some of the things you mentioned, maybe don't think quite as clearly, or just, I can definitely tell in my gut, like things feel a little off. (laughs) So I think it's interesting how you come to these sort of realizations over the time through experimentation. And, you know, even for people that like me, that maybe you don't feel that they're super gluten sensitive. I think if you really tune in, you'll, you'll notice some subtle things where you might get the hint that, yeah, maybe grains aren't as good for your gut as you thought. So since we were talking about the things that aren't so good for your gut, can you maybe uh, share with people some practical information about, you know, if they are trying to pay more attention to their gut microbiome, what sort of things might they change in their diet more on the things that they should include instead of focusing on the things that they should not include? Like we talked about grains or gluten, but are there things that you might want to add in that sort of support a more healthy system or to add some benefit? Yeah. And, and just to, you know, just to make a point, like I see lots of, lots of people with different digestive issues and, you know, some people do okay on, on grains, they do fine mm-hmm. um, in small amounts or for what they consume. And, and I see that even on testing and, and things like that. So it's not, it's not that, you know, we're putting a big, you know, X on it. It's just, yes, for, for individuals, sometimes it is a big issue, but sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you can handle, and like with you, maybe you can get away with a little bit here and there, um, but you just know that, oh, well, maybe if I were just to be quiet enough and listen to my body, it's really saying it doesn't really like that. Um, <laughs> right. but I could get away with a little bit and be okay. And I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's okay too, to some regard. It's just, we all make choices and then just observe where your choices lead. Mm-hmm. When you talk about healing a gut, and I, this is by no means prescriptive, but, um, you know, whole foods, always, um, tend to, to be more natural for our body. So the processed foods really, um, we're just really not meant to, to be digesting those. I guess they're just really not real food without getting too much far down that. Um, so you know, your whole foods are good. And then fiber, I mean, fiber is huge because I mean, your, your microbiome needs fiber and fiber is essentially what we don't digest with our enzymes, the, the, the bugs in our gut and our lower intestine ferment. Okay. Now people with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth might find that those things are painful because now you've got the bugs in the gut that should be in the lower intestine now in the upper intestine. And now they're trying to ferment in the small intestine. And that's our gas pain, bloating, things Mm -hmm. like that. Right. So sometimes saying, Oh, get more fiber. And they're just like, Whoa, that's totally a no go. Right. Um, and fiber was often thought to be your all brand or your wheat products. Right. 
if you're on a wheat-free or a gluten-free diet, you still have to be really careful to get enough fiber. So you're looking at different kinds of fiber, right? So you're looking at things like maybe psyllium or flax or slippery elm or stuff like that, that can be really helpful, but also garlic and onions and um, inulin root or acacia gum. There's lots of different ways, you know, flax, chia, um, that we can get our fiber, uh, pears, apples, you know, those types of things, vegetables, lots of different ways to get our fiber. We need to feed our gut, right? We need to feed those guys down there. And I always say there's, you know, it's like a big, you know, a, a big bowl of goldfish. You got to feed them so that they can, <laughs> you know, do what we want. And if we look after them, they're going to look after us. So fiber is huge in many, you know, both insoluble, which is what we can't break down and that we ferment and soluble, which um, more is a gelatinous kind of gel-like thing that attracts water into the gut so we can have a smooth, you know, easy flow of and transition and and transaction of, you know, food to stool. So that's pretty, pretty helpful. There's lots of things that help like tight junctions. We're looking at vitamin D. We're looking at, you know, helping heal and promote, you know, the immune system in the gut, which is vitamin D, sometimes zinc you know, zinc alcar, you know, zinc carnosine can be good. Um, there's so many different things. I talk about a lot of it in my book, um, different things, different times. And it's all about dose timing and duration for individuals. It's not like you would go and, and do, you know, everything all at once. So I try to find what works, you know, some people really like teas. So then we look at what kind of teas might be helpful. Um, other people prefer supplements or just whole foods. So, you know, we try to find different ways. I don't know if any of that kind of perked your interest, if you have more questions. Yeah, I guess one of the things that I thought is, you know, there is this trend, uh, sort of towards carnivore and for some, some of the things that you mentioned, like some skin conditions, different things, a lot of people that go on carnivore, which is basically a zero fiber, uh, kind of situation actually do a lot better. Would your suspicion be that maybe they have SIBO. And so for removing those things for a short amount of time may allow things to settle down and to heal. Or do you, do you have any other thoughts around that on, on why some people actually thrive more with a no fiber kind of situation with their gut? You know how I like to talk about being just 1% better every day? Well, ButcherBox believes in better. For them, better means caring about animals and the planet, treating the planet with respect, and it means improving the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers. Their beef is grass-fed and grass-finished, chicken is free-range and organic, turkey is free-range, pork is humanely raised, and salmon and scallops are wild-caught. I've been using ButcherBox for a couple of years now, and it was a godsend having such high-quality meat delivered to my door during the pandemic. If you're interested in saving money and eating healthier, this is the perfect service for you. Even if you can get back to the grocery store now, the quality and health of ButcherBox meat is far superior to what's in the market. Plus, if you're a bacon lover, I have really good news. You can always get a great deal on your subscription by using my link, but starting June 12th until October 14th, new members can get free bacon for life. That's right. Every box will include a pack of uncured, unbelievably delicious bacon added to every box for the life of your membership. Check my show notes for the link or go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash H-N-G butcher box. Well, it's like the FODMAP, right? You're taking out all of the, all of the fermentable oleogosaccharides. So you're taking those things out. And, and when you go on 
that kind of restrictive diet or the carnivore diet, you're taking out the things. So you're no longer feeding those bugs in your gut. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I like your approach and your theory that maybe they have SIBO. Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe that needs to be addressed. I also find a lot of the time when people have um, food sensitivities, their ileocecal valve, which is the valve between the small and the large intestine gets, gets a little lazy. And this is what also can promote the, uh, the bacteria, you know, translocating from the large bowel to the small bowel and promoting that, that sepal or the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I can often find it in the physical exam. I kind of do my little finger work around the area and it can be really sensitive. And with a, with a little bit of a movement, um, that, that that was shown years ago, you can actually just close that valve off. And mm. so, sometimes the pain and the burning and the sensation can literally go away. So it's a, it's a helpful part, but then you also have to treat what's going on. And, uh, you know, I use, uh, you know, in those cases, you know, enteric coated essential oils of certain kinds um, for short periods of time can be helpful. Yeah. And, and dietary stuff. And I always say there's no one right diet for anyone, not even for their lifetime. So I, f I find like really, you know, even like, you know, if you go really strict, just meat or really strict, just, you know, keto or really strict this or that it's like, okay, let's use it as a stepping stone to get, because we are meant to eat a variety of foods, I believe, because, you know, plant-based foods, there's like a ton of phytonutrients. Um, there's over 5,000 phytonutrients in, in vegetables and um, plant-based foods. And it's, it's like, that's a lot of uh, nutrients that you're missing out on and fibers that you're missing out on. Might you feel good short-term on meat? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but don't lose sight that maybe down the road, you might want to switch as equally. Some people feel really good short-term on a vegan diet, right? Mm -hmm. In two or three months, it helps reset stuff. The keto diet, two or three months helps reset that insulin sensitivity factor. And then maybe they can just go low carb instead of like really, you know, really, really, you know, low to medium instead of, you know, really super strict. And mm -hmm. that is often easier for people to follow and they still feel really good. Um, it's not strict keto, but it's, you know, they've done that to kind of initiate and maybe do some intermittent fasting, um, which again can be helpful for the gut. Because if you're thinking that you're always putting something down your digestive tract, that's like a manufacturing process. And if you're running a manufacturing plant 24 seven, you know, seven days a week over and over again, when does it have time to, you know, to reboot mm -hmm. and, and re, you know, refurbish itself? Well, that's where fasting comes into play because you're giving yourself a digestive break. So that can help reset things as well. Yeah. Um, Great analogy with the uh, manufacturing plant. I like that. <laughs> I might have to use that because <laughs> you do um, need, it's just like, it needs time. You need time for um, maintenance, right? And that's when autophagy comes in. You just give your system a chance to actually heal a little bit of its own instead of trying to put more things in there to heal stuff. Why not just let it do its own thing for a little while? I think that's a great analogy and a way to look at it with the factory. I like that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, some of that comes from like my background and, and working with manufacturers and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, you've, you've got to do the maintenance and you can't just run stuff all the time without doing the maintenance. And if we're not sleeping, that's another part, you know, if we're not sleeping, that's kind of our daily maintenance time. Sleep is not inactive. It's very active state of, of refurbishing and, you know, resetting so many processes in our body and the gut is hugely important to that. That's why, you know, we need to fast and those who eat late at night, or, you know, or wake up in the middle of the night and eat, they're, they're disrupting that fasting period. 
Um, every time you eat, you have to think, even thinking of food, you know, you start, you know, the saliva starts and the saliva is in the mouth starting, but you're also getting the juices starting through the rest of the digestive tract. So it's initiating and getting things ready. It's getting the enzymes ready to go. You know, it's, 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 it's a big focus, right? It's mm-hmm. a big focus. So that, um, that in itself doing the, um, the fasting sometimes can, can be a huge component, right? Oh yeah. Love it. And that's one of the things I'm a big fan of, and people have heard me talk, chat about that before. So glad to hear that you think that is useful as well. Um, before we sort of wrap things up today, we haven't even talked about, uh, well, you mentioned your book early on, but maybe you could tell people a little bit about, since we've gone through some of this stuff, we're t- you're talking about the gut microbiome, how to feed it, how to rest it. Um, but what would be uh, I guess, why would people come to this book? What's sort of the overall premise and, and what could they hope to get out of it? Yeah, thanks for asking. I appreciate your interest in in, in the book. Um, it was published and released in um, February, 2021. And uh, Beyond Digestion is really meant to help you get to the root cause of your, your health problems, uh, specifically starting in the gut. But I believe the gut is 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 the root of many things. Now, I was reading an article yesterday, you know, like root cause health, you know, health concerns. Well, yes, there might be multiple issues going on. It's not always one issue, but what often, you know, rings at my door or knocks on my door is, is Laura, if, if you haven't, you know, figured out what's going on with this patient, have you thought of their gut? <laughs> because it typically <laughs> comes back to that. So that's the book. So it helps you understand how to listen to your body. Okay. Whether it's whispering at you or screaming. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it helps, helps you understand and arm you with good questions to go to your, you know, your functional medicine or your naturopathic doctor to ask those good questions so that you can have a good long look at yourself and then say, okay, these are the things that I need to ask about. Helps you understand how to detoxify your gut, harmonize your sleep and biorhythms, how to strengthen your immune system, balance your hormones, talk about emotional regulation, because, oh my gosh, that vagus nerve is so connected, rest and digest, right? If we're always, you know, on, you know, the fight, flight, freeze or flop, we're not digesting. And I have a, you know, big conversation about that in the book. And then turning into, you know, tuning into our body's inner wisdom, um, because I believe that um, not only do we digest our food, we digest the world around us, and for those who are empaths or recovering empaths or highly sensitive people, you are trying to digest other people's emotions and you need to learn your boundaries. Okay. If you have issues with boundaries in relationships, you likely have issues with boundaries in your gut, leaky relationship, leaky gut, right? So then it's okay. We need to heal that as well, because energetically we need to address this. Okay. And then we need to connect to that primal source. And this is, you know, kind of our connection to the soul. This is why I say, you know, this is, you know, how gut health connects to your mind, body, and soul. And this is what we talk about. So we talk about testing. We talk about, you know, the, we, I talk about peeling the onions. We look at the physical components of gut health, the emotional components, you know, food or mood, what comes first, cravings, that kind of thing. Um, and then we talk about um, cognitive, you know, how cognition, you know, mind gut access, mm-hmm. um, vagal nerve involvement, sleep involvement with gut health, fasting, different types of diets. And then we talk about that soul connection, vagal nerve, um, you know, connecting in, trusting ourself, right? Um, this is our solar plexus. This is where we set our boundaries, boundaries, not just with food, but, you know, and in our gut lining, but also with 
others. So that is kind of the um, the overview of beyond digestion. So it's about more than digesting our food. It's about digesting the world around us. Yeah, and I love that you added that in there because I think that is such an underappreciated part of health that most people don't want to think about that much because it's very like kind of woo-woo, you know, kind of a hippie, hippie dippy, whatever. But it's it's really, I think, probably the final piece of the puzzle for a lot of people because you can address all this very physical stuff. But if you're not addressing some of the stuff that you just mentioned, I think you're really missing the boat. Uh, so Dr. Laura, if, if people want to connect with you, find out more about your work, um, have the ability to work with you, can you tell everybody if you're active on social media, your website, all that kind of good stuff? Absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn. You can find me there. It's um, And I'll send you my link tree if I didn't already. Yeah, I can add it to the notes for and sure. And you can add it to the notes. That's easiest. My clinic is, is um, South End Guelph. Um, that's G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. So South, South End Guelph dot C-A. So you can put that up on your links as well. Yep. Um, and yeah, so mostly LinkedIn is where I do a lot of activity. And, um, and then on my website, I see patients um, within the province of Ontario, Canada, um, that I am a regulated practitioner. So um, I do need to see people who are um, physically in Ontario, and I can do that either on the phone or, um, or in person. So I see a lot of people that way. My book is my way of reaching out to people. I am working on um, uh, a couple of other things that might reach out to others, but um they're, they're still in, in the making. So that's okay. stay, well, stay tuned. tuned. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Dr. Laura, it was so nice to meet you today. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and your, um, the, again, that side with the soul, I think people should look into this more and I just appreciate you for putting that out in the world. So thank you for coming today. Uh, thanks so much, Cheryl. It's a pleasure to meet you. I wish, just appreciate all the work that you're doing in your field. Thank you so much. All right. This has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at healnourishgrowpodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at healnourishgrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at healnourishgrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.